Come on, if God is for you, if God is with you, who can be against you? Come on, amen. Welcome back to church. It's been a week. Are you all ready for this? Amen. You all came ready today, amen. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm not superstitious. There's no difference between this floor and that floor, this wood and whatever is on the concrete on the floor there. But man, when I got up here today, I just felt God's presence. Man, there's something happening in this room flowing from that worship that will change your life. God will change your life if you give him your life. That is his promise, man. That is what he said he would do. He would change and rearrange and and mold us and shape us into the people he wants us to be. So I'm so glad you're here. We're going through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter. Let's go to chapter four today. I'm going to do something very different, but I think you guys are going to love it. Today is going to be like a conference. Are you all ready for a conference? Now, let me tell you what I mean by a conference. I'm going to give you three messages in one today. And every spot that I stop in one of those messages, we're going to respond. Because as we've taken on the assignment of preaching verse by verse through the book of Matthew, it's all about Jesus, obviously. Today's chapter has like three distinct messages for us. And there's no way I can go through it all and then say at the end, come and respond as we normally do. If you're new here, we normally respond to the word of God at the end with the elders and deacons praying. These words are so powerful that I could preach messages all by themselves. But instead of breaking it up over three different messages, I'm going to keep within the chapter. I'm going to use the opportunity of this church to stop in between those messages to have you respond. So the entirety of this chapter, I would summarize chapter 4 of Matthew is come follow Jesus. Everybody say come follow Jesus. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Now, some pastors say, don't follow me, just follow Jesus. But that's a bad pastor. Stop following him altogether as he told you to and stop going to his church, okay? So if a pastor says, don't follow me, I'm going to let you down and all that, then just say, sayonara, I'm out of here. Uh, Of course, people can let you down. That's true. Of course, we don't live sinless, but we do sin less as pastors. I should be sinning less than you, right? Okay, if you looked at porn, I shouldn't be looking at porn this week, right? Now, as a Christian, I've I've been serving the Lord for over 20 years. I should be an example. So get this. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So after Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so that we could be like him in this world. So not only are you supposed to follow me as I follow Christ, you're supposed to ask your community, you're supposed to ask your family, husbands and wives, supposed to ask each other, follow me as I follow Jesus, So if you ain't got nobody following you, you must not be living like Jesus because you should be a leader in this world. People should be following you. And if you say, I'm a leader, but nobody's following you, you're just going on a walk, baby. Because when leaders move, people move with them. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? When leaders move, people move with them. So the whole idea is Jesus is my leader. Jesus made me a leader, so now I'm going to follow Jesus. You follow Jesus with me. Never get it twisted. I'm not between you and Jesus. I'm just saying I'm setting an example to follow Jesus. So none of this don't follow me stuff. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Trust me. I know the pastors that say that. They're trying to be humble, but they sinning in the background, and that ain't humble. Being in sin is not humble. Now, do I have mistakes and weaknesses? Absolutely, but I am 100% a disciple of Christ. What I am teaching here, I am living out first and foremost. Amen? First and foremost, your pastor should be living out what he teaches. Like I said, I'm not sinless, but I sin less, baby. Follow me. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. They'll tell you the truth. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and follow Jesus. Y'all ready for this? Amen. We're going to read first about Jesus being tempted. And then that is going to bring us to our first encounter with God today in this service via this message. I'm going to read the whole portion here, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many know you'd be hungry too? 40 days without food. Uh, The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I want you to notice that the devil's going to question his identity, and every answer back from Jesus is going to be the word. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Somebody say, it is written. 
Thank you, church. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You'll understand these colors in just a moment on the karaoke screen. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. How many know the devil knows the word too? Because he came right back now in the second temptation with a scripture. Verse 7, Jesus said, it is also written, devil, let me teach you something. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you. He said, if you bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is what? It is written, three temptations, three times, Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You will be tempted in this world like Jesus. You will have to use the word of God as a sword to cut down the temptations. I want you to scroll so that they can see this and click on it, please. I have prepared for you an understanding of temptation from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation with Jesus right square in the middle. This is it, my friends, when it comes to temptation. You will be tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those were those different colors that I had coded for you in the passage we were reading. When you go to my notes, you will see that I have it also in Genesis when Eve was first tempted. Those three temptations. And then I show you in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, how those three temptations work and how you are to defeat them. You defeat them by loving God. It's not that you have a sin problem first. You have a love with God problem. The reason why you do sin is because you're not doing right with Jesus. Hello, it's not that I have have an adulterous problem first. If I'm a married man cheating on my wife, I have a marriage problem, a love problem with my wife. Are you all getting that? Because you don't cheat on somebody you really love. You don't hurt somebody you really love. So it's not that you need to better yourself up to stop sinning. You need to love the sin right out of your heart. You need to love God so much that there is no more room for sin to be in your heart. I want you to think about your heart being a cup. It's 100% full. You don't have room for sin because you've got all that room for Jesus. That just goes to Jesus. So think about it like this. Let's say you were sitting down and you ate some McDonald's, man. You went to lunch and you shouldn't have been there, but you went there anyways, okay? And I go there quite a bit to tell on myself. So you shouldn't have been there, but you're there. And you ate it till you got full because it, it, it wasn't a good day for your diet or whatever. You just ate the Big Mac. You ate the, the French fries. You says, mine as well. Get the shake now that I'm here. And then on your way out, you grabbed an apple pie, had a snack in the car. Now listen to me. You can be so bloated and stuffed on that bad stuff that then you show up to your mom's house and your mom says, oh, I'm cooking your favorite right now. I didn't know you were coming. I had guests coming over, but this is your favorite. You better sit down and eat this right now. How many know you're upset at yourself for eating all that junk food? Because now you don't have any room for your mom's favorite food. On the count of three, shout out your favorite food from your mom. One, two, three. Lasagna. Yeah, my mom's better, lasagna. So anyways, y'all got good moms, right? I got the mic. That's why I can shout it louder. But everybody's got good food from their mom. So here's the deal. I'm stuffed on McDonald's. I see my mom's cooking lasagna. I didn't know that. But man, I don't have any room. You see, that's what it's like when you fill yourself up with sin, and then God is saying, keep my commands. You're saying, I don't have any time to do this, God. I don't have any room in my thoughts. I don't have any extra resources because you've already dedicated everything you have to the world. Now, listen to me. Imagine you did it the opposite way. You came home. Your wife cooked something. You didn't get those snacks at McDonald's. You didn't do that cheating. You came home, and your, your wife or your mom or somebody you love made your favorite dish, and then you've eaten it. You're stuffed. You're full, and then now somebody shows you a Big Mac. What you going to do? You're probably just going to puke by looking at that gross thing, all the sauce on there. and this, Oh, man, I don't even want to look at that Big Mac right now. That thing's nasty. Hello, somebody. You see, that's the way you're supposed to look at sin. See, it doesn't matter if the most beautiful woman walked in this room right now. I'm not going to be tempted by that if my heart is full of love for my wife. 
I'll appreciate her, but I won't look at her as a sexual object. I'll just look at her as a sister because my heart is full with love for my wife. Come on, I got six kids. I can prove it. Amen. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love making babies. It's fun. And it's not worth going to hell over either, so do it right. That's why the Bible said to get married. So let's just look at the three temptations. Lust of the flesh. Jesus was tempted to eat food when he was hungry. Lust of the eyes. Jesus was shown all of the kingdoms of the world and said that he could get those things. And then the pride of life. Jesus was told, hey, just jump off a building and let these angels come and hold you up. These are the three categories that we had lost the battle with Satan in the Garden of Eden. When you look back to the fruit, and people call it an apple, but we don't know the kind of fruit it is. So let's just say it's a fruit. The, the Bible says when she came over to the tree, she saw that it was good for, for eating, so she began to lust after it. The whole entire place they lived was a garden. They could eat whatever they wanted, but she still wanted one more thing. Any ladies in here got a uh, closet full of shoes, but you still just need one more set of shoes. Oh, it gets quiet when I preach like that. Uh, any any men here today, you know, I know we got some shoeaholic men as well. Any men here got a closet full of shoes, still just need one more. You see, the thing about sin is... Is that you're never satisfied with it. It's just one more trip to the, to the bar to hang out with the fellows to do things you shouldn't do. It's just one more time looking at that website you shouldn't be looking at. It's just one more time gambling. It's just one more time. And, and it never satisfies. She was in a garden full of food, but yet still wanted more. And what I love about this, because people, I know you're smart, you're thinking ahead, well, why did Jesus put the, the, the tree there anyway? Why did he allow the devil to, to tempt them? Why was that even a thing? Because here's the deal, free will. God is not going to make you serve him. You have a choice whether or not you want to serve him. And so God said, Here, here's the deal. I'll make this entire planet beautiful. Everything will be here for you. You guys will be filled with my presence, my glory, my love. But if you want to leave, just go right over here and eat this. And that's the heart of all disobedience is it's not God's way, it's our way. When I was talking to young people the other day at Prosser, right down the road here, you can see I was preaching online, do it live, because you know what? Let me just share this with you real quick, why I put my preaching videos live when I'm on the streets, because you can't do what I'm doing now on your job. So how can I be an example to you of winning souls? You're going to get everybody on your job to sit down, grab a Bible, a sound system? Come on, you can't do that. So I show you what it's like to be on the streets and talk to people who don't respect me as pastor, who make fun of me, who do all those things, but yet I still preach the gospel to them. So don't use that as an excuse. I'm not the pastor. Pastor, I can't do it. Man, I'm going to show you how to do that too. Amen? By God's grace. So anyway, I was talking to one of the young ladies. She came on the mic. She was being bold and sassy. I appreciated it because it you know, helps people's interest you know, come and listen other than me just preaching at them the whole time. It's like a conversation, kind of like my own Steve Harvey show in a sense. You know, I give her the mic. I take the mic. We talk back and forth. You know, but unlike Steve Harvey, I'm a man of God. I'm not on my third marriage giving marriage advice. Okay? Uh, here's a hint. Don't listen to the guy that's been divorced three times. Amen? Just, just listen to what he tells you not to do. Okay? No, I'm teasing. He can give some kind of advice, but pray for him to be saved. So I'm talking to this young lady, and we're, we're debating about homosexuality and morality and all types of things. And then finally, I just say to her, this is what Jesus said. What do you think? And then she didn't like what Jesus said. So I said, what are you going to say to him on judgment day when you meet him? And you can go back. I'm telling you right now on Facebook, it's right towards the end, the last 20 minutes. She says, I will tell him I did it my way. And I want you to know. She said, she literally has a conversation with God. Like she became kind of animated. She said, and I want you to know if you don't like it, then that's just the way it's going to be. She had no idea that she had the very heart of Satanism. Satanism is not Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson is a wannabe. Now, there are people who call themselves Satanists, but we can be deceived into thinking all Satanism is is dark robes and, and sacrificing children and drinking blood and all types of crazy stuff. But what caused Satan to fall from heaven? What was his choice to be worshipped and to be in charge, to not do it God's way, to do it his way? What convinced a third of the angels to go with him was to do it their way, to have it their, their way of doing things? And then what convinced Eve to take of that fruit, when the, all the garden was full of fruit she could eat, what convinced her was he said, you can become like God. You see, that's the temptation is you get to decide your own right and wrong. So she saw the fruit, lust of the flesh, then it was pleasing to the eyes, so she saw that she wanted there and what it would do for her, pride of life, desirable for gaining wisdom. 
Now, here's a couple things i got to share because I want to be honest with the text as I go through scriptures. Go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 almost pause, uh, 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 gives us a, a, posits a contradiction to what's going on here. So I'm going to say this before I get to the application, and then we're going to pray and confess some of our sins. Are you ready to do that? Amen. I'm just going to tell you where I'm going. But I, I really first want to show you this because sometimes people try to point out contradictions in the Bible, and we'll see if we can figure this out for them. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verse 13. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, I want to stop right there and ask you a question. Was Jesus God in the flesh? then how was he tempted if the Bible says God can't be tempted? First problem people want to point out to you. Second thing is, who led him into the desert to be tempted? Was it the devil leading him into the desert, or was it God the Holy Spirit? God the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says he can't tempt you. So now where's the contra- well, what's the answer to the contradiction? So you're on the streets. Imagine somebody says, oh, you believe that Bible? Yeah, I believe it. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay, so God, the Bible says in James, God can't be tempted. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, then how was Jesus tempted if he was God? Oh, I don't know that. Let me go ask my pastor. Oh, and then there's another thing. The Bible says he won't lead you into temptation. But who led Jesus into temptation? The Spirit did. Oh, the Bible contradicted itself. See, it gets quiet when I talk like that. See, I got a lot of ameners, but I wonder how many thinkers I got. You guys got to think when you come to this church. I'm not just coming to have you amen me. Did I just blow up Christianity or did at least we prove that one of these books is wrong? If I asked on this, asked this young man to come on the mic, would he have the answer? I'm not going to embarrass him, but he should. Now, we don't have all the answers. We all have to study. But as a faithful pastor to the word of God, I want you to know how to answer some of the common objections that come up through reading the word of God. Because I've read the whole Bible many times, and the ideas that seem to be contradictory actually end up being complementary. So let's start with the first one. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted, but the Bible says he does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt anyone. What you have to understand is that Jesus did not have a sinful nature. We have sinful natures, and as we will learn in just a moment, our temptation comes from our nature. If Jesus was to be the perfect example to us, then that means he would have to be tempted. But how do you tempt someone when they have a perfect nature? They have to go to where the tempter is. You see, Adam and Eve took a choice to go to where the tempter was in the garden to be tempted. Jesus would know better and would never go into that location. But because he is going to show us how to defeat temptation, the spirit has to lead him to the place where Adam and Eve fell so that he can conquer it. Not a contradiction, but a compliment. Do you understand? Because Jesus' GPS was the Holy Spirit. Jesus was only going to go where the Holy Spirit led him. So he would never go by the way of sin unless the Holy Spirit set him up for that. So the Holy Spirit now is not the one tempting. The Holy Spirit is leading him to the temptation. Big difference. And the reason is, is because Jesus has to pass the test for us. We need to see the perfect example. Now, as I've shared before, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's always existed with the Father, came down, and was born of a virgin so he could have a perfect nature to restart what Adam and Eve lost because they were created with the perfect nature. But here's the deal. He limited himself, as I like to say, tied his God privileges behind his back. He did not stop being God, but he took away the privileges as God to live as a man to make up for what we messed up. Now, if you remember last week, I also told you that John the Baptist didn't want to baptize him because he knew he was God in the flesh. But he said, for righteousness sake, I must do this. And I shared with you that that will be key to understanding all the things about Jesus as a man. Why did Jesus get tired? If God never gets tired, because Jesus as a man for righteousness sake wanted to show us what it's like to serve God even when you're tired. Why did 
Jesus get baptized if he wasn't a sinner? Does God need to be baptized by his own creation? No. He is setting the example for us who need to be baptized. Jesus says he doesn't know when he's coming back when he's on the earth. Is it that the Son of God is not equal in his knowledge to the Father? No. He is showing us how to trust the Father with dates and times because we don't know the dates and times. So he lived as a man, 100% man. Therefore, he had to be led to the place of temptation so that it could happen. Now, just a little side note, people ask, could he have fallen into the temptation? No, it would be impossible for him to sin, but he felt the full weight of what we would feel. That is what Jesus did for us. The second thing that we now see is that the Bible says he was tempted of the devil and God does not tempt anyone. So we know he was led there not because uh, he, you know, the father wanted him to fall into sin. He was led to show us how to overcome temptation. But then the temptation itself, does God use temptation to teach us how to say no to bad things? Yes, but he does not produce the temptation. Now this is where I'm going to go a little deeper with you right now. God is light. Absent of light. Absence of light is what? God allows there to be darkness where he is not in his knowledge or in his presence, in the sense of his intimate presence. He is everywhere at all times, but he is not intimately with you unless you are a Christian serving God, etc. When he sees that you and I have the potential to sin, he will allow us to face a test similar to Jesus and not bring out the sin, not bring it out, but he will allow you to see who you really are to see if you choose light or you choose darkness. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Why did he put the tree there to begin with? Because he's so awesome, he can make a space where you don't have to be with him. Okay? So the idea is simple. He is being led by the Spirit because he is perfect and would never be tempted inwardly. So he could never identify with us. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted in all ways like us. So in every way man has ever been tempted, he had demonic voices trying to get him to do that. Child molesting, check. Homosexuality, check. Murder, check. He was tempted in all possible ways that mankind can be tempted in, but he resisted them all. This is one opportunity where it's shown in the book of Matthew where the whole shebang is brought before him. But the Bible says he left, Satan left. It doesn't mean he never came back. It means he came back over various times, and he would use different people to tempt Jesus as well. If you've ever watched like uh, the Da Vinci Code or different things, the idea is kind of conspiratorial. Did Jesus have a relationship with Mary Magdalene? And then there was the, the, the movie that came out, The Last Temptation of Jesus. We know Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted to sin. Do you guys understand that? Now let me make the application to you. Watch this. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So how are you tempted? Are you tempted just because the devil's out there? No, you're tempted because your flesh in here still desires sin. Jesus did not have that, so he never would have had a temptation unless he was led into it. Now, why doesn't God zap us out of our bodies and take us directly to heaven we become Christians so that we can never be tempted again? Because on this earth, it is a test to see, do we want to be in God's garden again, or do we want to stay with hell? Because there's hell on earth, and then after this, there'll be hell eternally. So what do you want? Do you want heaven to come to earth? Do you want the garden of Eden to be restored? Or do you go after the temptations that you yourself do to yourself? You're your worst enemy. And I'll give you an example of this real quick. Everyone here has a flavor for sin like you have a flavor for ice cream. And I've taught this here before. If I took you to Baskin Robbins 31 
41 flavors, boom, and put you in there. How many know everyone is picking different ice cream? Somebody's saying, I want these two together. I want just vanilla. I want chocolate chip cookie dough. Here's how sin works. Some of you, you're tempted to be bitter towards your enemies. Others of you are tempted to be greedy and self-serving and selfish. Others of you are tempted to be hateful and angry or whatever. And all of those temptations equal death. And here's the deal. Jesus is the perfect example of how to resist temptation. Because even though he was set up to be tempted and met with the devil himself, he spoke back the word of God and overcame every one of those temptations. So the example is this. When you are tempted from the inside by your own thoughts and your own evil desires, you speak the word of God. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now notice this, that the desire does not equal the sin unless you give in to it. And so temptation is not sin. And many times we get discouraged because we came to church and we prayed, but now we still get tempted and we think, well, that didn't work. I must still be a sinner. No, you will be tempted as long as you are in this body of flesh. As long as you are here in this body, you will still face temptation. But it does not cross over into a sin until you give in to that desire. And remember once again, as we'll be getting into Matthew chapter 5, that giving into desires is not only just the action, it's also the meditation of the heart. So you can lust and not give in to the lust, but still be in sin for meditating on lust. You can be angry and not beat that person up, but be holding on to it and still be guilty of anger. How many understand that? The Bible's clear on that. Okay, so that means we have to guard our hearts. And what I teach people is whenever you have the temptation come, you resist it with the word of God. You don't give in to it. You don't make your identity your temptation. So let's say I am tempted right now to have sex outside of marriage. I don't just give into and say I do whatever I think. No, I think about my thoughts. I take my thoughts captive with what? The word of God. And I say till death do us part. And then I say, God, give me eyes only for my wife. And I start speaking the word of God to that temptation. And then if we are tempted by the devil, because remember, we don't even need the devil to be tempted. We can tempt ourselves. Let's say right now, God just rid the world of the devil and all the fallen angels, and then he rid the world of everybody else on the planet, and it was you alone on a mountain. You would have all the temptation you need, just your body, your flesh. You could imagine having sex. You could imagine killing people. You, you could be tempted all day long in that situation. And then here's the deal. You can live holy with all the devils of hell coming against you, with everybody hating you, with nobody wanting you to be right. You can literally be like Joseph, a slave where a woman tries to rape you, and you can still be pure. Joseph was so pure and holy. See, some dude's trying to get on women and make them feel uncomfortable. Joseph was so pure and holy that when the woman stripped him naked, he ran away naked. He didn't give, that, he didn't give in to that. Some of you dudes, that's like your fantasy. That's, that's why you got to repent. Are you understanding? Oh, I would love for my boss to undress me and all. Isn't that what pornography is and all of these, these wicked fantasies? Joseph was in the greatest fantasy you could imagine for a man. And even as she took off his robe and tried to undress him, he ran out there. That's how righteous he was. So once again, you could be all alone in the world and still send yourself to hell. And you can be persecuted by every demon in hell, every thought coming against you, and go to heaven with glorious rewards. Amen? Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Let's go back to the, um, the notes, please. How many want to be free from sin? How many want to literally pray this and click on it for me, please? How many want to pray this with me today? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You see, I'm not the son of God that has to be led into temptation because I would never face it otherwise. No, I'm facing it already. God knows that. So he does not have to lead me into it, but he will allow me to be tested. He will allow me to see what's in my own heart. Just remember that. What are tests? Is God figuring out the grade? God already knows the grade, people. The, the test is for you to know the grade. And so God wants you to see what's in your heart. 
And that's why he allowed the Israelites to be in the deserts for four years to be tested. It's not that he brought them the temptation to turn their backs on him because every test can give you a testimony. So if you use your test as an excuse to quit because you say, well, God should have known I couldn't handle it, even though the scripture says he'll never give you more than you can handle under your temptation, under your test, you're always supposed to pray and seek the way out because that makes you stronger and builds your faith. If you quit on that, God's not going to feel sorry for you because he's going to say that was in your heart. I just helped you see it. You were, you were faking it. You weren't really wanting me. You gave in the moment you had an opportunity to take it. So for example, I've always worked with people in the ministry that are about my age. All of you guys are about my age. And uh, you know, a lot of times you have young ladies around you in the ministry. And I've had them from day one. When I first started, three uh, of the women, uh, three out of the four pastors, me being one, the other three were women. And they were all around my age, okay? And I used to have sex with girls before I was married. And so I knew, I know about one night stands. I know about, I had sex in my backyard. And I don't tell you this to brag, but I know how it can go from, hey, nice to meet you, to having sex somewhere, okay? But I never did that. I never violated them. I always treated them as sisters, even though the temptation was there from the flesh. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. Why would you tell us that? Because any pastor that doesn't tell you otherwise is a liar, because I'm telling you honestly how I've been free from pornography since 96, how I've never cheated on my wife, and I never have had to have a discipline brought against me as a pastor. That means my integrity has been in check. I'm teaching you something here, so don't judge me on me being honest and real with how temptation works. You know it all, nothing good for nothing. Are you listening to me? So if you're here acting like I can't tell you this, you're just a good for nothing. I'm telling you, because what you know is not worth it, what, I, what I'm telling you here. I'm telling you something that's worth something. What you know is worth nothing. That's what I mean. You're, you know, God loves you. You're not good for nothing in that sense, but your knowledge is good for nothing. Let's be honest. So let me tell you right here. Watch, watch. But I was tested because then God was saying to me, if I can trust you with three, then I'll give you five, and then I'll give you young people. And then I'll give you a church like the one you see now. And then these young ladies, instead of being violated, you'll marry them. They'll look up to you as a big brother. They'll see you as a spiritual father. And that reputation has been intact over 20 years. By God's grace. By God's grace. Amen. But then now watch this. My friend was a Christian rapper was used to all the crowds and everybody's, you know, always hanging on every word he had to say because, you know, they wanted to sing the song with them and he was used to the attention, became a pastor, and this brother knows him right here, became a pastor, His, he was married, he had six kids just like me. The very first, first, everybody say first, the first female intern he gets from the Bible college, he sleeps with and gets her pregnant. You see what I'm talking about? The first one. Because God said, how am I going to give you 100 young ladies on fire for God when I can't even trust you with the first one? So God will allow you to be tested. He'll allow you to be tested, but he's not the one doing the actual temptation of sin. You did that by yourself. Eve never had to go by the tree, but God will let you go there if you want to. God will let you do it, and he'll even allow situations to happen in your life that will be a test. But it determines, your character will be determined on how you react to that test. See, I now have a testimony, and by God's grace, I will end this journey as I started with 50 years of impeccable character and integrity with the opposite sex. Amen? And some pastors have had sex with their male youth pastors. That's a whole nother story. What are the pastor and youth pastor doing? Oh, I don't know. They're hanging out all the time. Comes to find out they're having sex together. It's a crazy world out there. You know it. You're all acting shocked right now. You've seen Jerry Springer. You've seen it. You've seen these shows. You know how crazy this world is. You think it changes because I stand up here? But I'm being honest with you. You can avoid falling into sin. You can't avoid temptation. I'm being very clear with you now. Okay? I will be tempted. You will be tempted. How you respond to that is your choice. I'm going to ask Adam to come up here, please, because we're going to now pray the fa our Father prayer, but just that portion, because then we'll get into it in Matthew. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And what that is, is a confession of God. I know even if I'm in a tough situation, you're not trying to make me fall you're actually wanting to build me up. You're wanting to build me up. 
See, God brought young ladies into my ministry because young ladies in this culture are broken and have become sexual objects, many of them. And by me being a person of integrity, I have a testimony of radical young women all over the country serving the Lord, people in this ministry, people like Pastor Lauren and people like Pastor Griselda and people like Pastor Sue Ellen, who were all once single, young, and impressionable. And if my intentions were not pure, they never would have saw the marriages that they have now. They never would have saw the lives that they have now. Now, have I sinned as being a pastor? Yeah. Some of my greatest sins, and I'll confess them to you now because I have no problem with being honest with you, has been my anger and my temper. Because in my desire to see people live for God, I get tempted to force them to live for God. And that becomes part of the pride of life. And so if I have sinned against you in my anger, I want to apologize to you. There's an anger you can have, the Bible says, where it's not sin. And then there's an anger you can have where you do sin. And I know that I have sinned in my anger in this church with different people at different times. So I'll be the first to confess. I know that oftentimes, and this is why I tell young people, I'll confess one out of each area to help you out. This is why I tell people You see me now as being saved and you think maybe you'll go through what I went through and then get saved and have my same testimony and enjoy the sin in between. And I say, oh, dear God, you have no idea what you're doing. Number one, you're never promised to come back. I buried my friends. Some of them never came back. One of my friends was doing drugs. He walked right off the cliff at a a forest preserve. They found his body three days later, later in the river. He's gone. I ended up talking to people. It was a weird coincidence. I mean, it was actually a Holy Ghost thing, pretty awesome, but it was kind of weird how I found out about it. But I found out from a youth leader from a youth group in town that he had actually prayed for him to know Jesus the Wednesday before the weekend he died. I don't know if that young man's in heaven or in hell right now. Chances are he's in hell. That, that means he had a chance Wednesday to live for Jesus and say no to his friends in that party out in the forest but he took that last bait of Satan, and now look where, where he's at. And if he's in heaven, he wasted his life. At the very least, he wasted his life. So I, I tell you that, number one, you don't know if you can come back. And then number two, you know what my biggest temptations are? Those memories I have of my past. Those are my nightmares now. Some of you think that, like I, like I was telling you, you think that would be cool to meet some girl at a party, have sex with her in your backyard, and do all those things. Dude, those things are my work. I wake up in the middle of the night remembering getting high and doing those things, and I think I'm there now. What you do now, yes, you can be forgiven of if you have the chance to ask for forgiveness, but those memories, until you leave this body, will haunt you. And I know as a Christian, I'm supposed to tell you you're not going to be haunted by your past, but you will be. That will be your literal temptation. I'm not saying you'll live in a dark space. I'm not saying you have to give in to it. In the valley of the shadow of death, God is good. But if I'm going to be honest with you, the deepest, darkest temptations you will have will be those moments in your past that the devil builds up and makes look so good. He will not remind you of the loneliness, the rejection, going to the clinic. He will not remind you of the the pain you suffer. He will paint this picture of a highlight reel. Oh, you had these drinks and you did that and that girl was hot and you guys did this. Oh, man, you did this. You were over here. You did And he will paint this highlight reel. And I'm telling you, that's where I get tempted. It's in my own flesh because I remember those things of the past. Because I'll know it's nothing but three steps, one phone call, and a few bucks, and I'm right there. I mean, let's just be honest. I could lose what I have built for the last 20-plus years in, what, a half hour? I had a friend visiting me from New Orleans when I used to uh, visiting me while I was in New Orleans. He went out to get po' boys, which are amazing sandwiches they make in New Orleans. They're basically uh, Subway sandwiches filled with uh, fried seafood. So he liked the oyster ones. I liked the shrimp one. A 24-hour gas stations would sell them with the most sketchiest people working there and the most, you know, just like the kitchen you don't even want to look at while they're making it because that's sketchy. But, boy, that would come out so good. <laughs> so he said to me, he said to me, I'm going to go get us some po' boys. You want the shrimp? I'm going to get the oyster. Yes. 
Dude was gone for 45 minutes, came back, no poor boys, white-faced. He was an evangelist. I was a pastor. He was traveling all around the country. He was my best friend. And I said, bro, what's going on, man? What happened? I thought maybe he got robbed. You know, white boys living in the hood. That's where we live. I was like, man, did you just, did you just meet Tyrone right there? Tyrone hit you up? Because Tyrone broke into my house twice. Seriously, man, I don't remember his name. I, I know I'm being stereotypical. Tyrone, forgive me. But my house got broken in twice by my own neighbor. So anyways, I called him because I went to his house. And I said, can I just see? Because I have a feeling that, that your son broke into my house. She said, yeah, you can come on and see. He had all my stuff on his dresser. That's another story. That's how I started off as a pastor. And then, and then he did it again. And then he did it again. That's how much he didn't care about me. Amen. But anyways, white-faced. What happened? Drove to go get the poor boys, got tempted to go get a prostitute, drove to Bourbon Street, got the prostitute in the car, started driving to a place that had sex with her, got convicted, dropped her off, and came back home. He had been saved at that time over 10 years. Over 10 years. And within, what, 20 minutes, he drove from my house to Bourbon Street, put a prostitute in the car, and was ready to go. I said, you got to tell your pastor, your leader. He had to go through six months of restoration for that, which took him, what, 20 minutes. How long did it take Adam and Eve to go to that fruit and eat it? I mean, seconds, right? Now, can you be forgiven as a Christian? Absolutely. I'm not telling you that God is expecting us to be sinless to go to heaven. But what I'm trying to warn you of is that if you and I are not careful, this stuff can come up and it can come up fast. So the lust of the flesh is my former memories. Pride of life is my anger and lust of the eyes. You want, to tell me, you want me to tell you how the devil does this? Because I'll go right to Jesus. Watch. Jesus is God of all the universe. And the devil says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you this stuff. Now, that could be another contradiction right there. I thought God owns everything. How does the devil have stuff? If you notice, Jesus never corrects him and says, you don't own that. I own that. Get back, Jack. What are you talking about? No. Why doesn't Jesus correct him? Because God gave us the earth. And he said, this is yours. You have dominion over it. You got the keys. You got the deed. Who did we give it to that day in the garden? We gave it to Satan. Why is Jesus there? To get it back. And the devil gives him a way to get it. And says, here's a way to get what you see, what you really want. It's the way of worshiping me instead of worshiping your father. And I know we've all heard the, the, the song by Snoop Dogg, or at least some of us who are old enough, about how the devil came and tempted him. I don't know how real those things are, but that's probably based on the Bible and these things. So you want to know how slick the devil is? The devil doesn't tempt me with being president. The devil doesn't even tempt me with being a millionaire. The devil knows exactly what I want. I put it up here on the board every single week. What do we want to see in this church? A hundred thousand what? Disciples. And what does the devil say? Do it like Willow Creek, and I'll give you a hundred thousand. Stop calling out people's sins. Stop talking honest about stuff. Just put on that best show you can. You'll still be able to scratch their religious itch. You can look spiritual. You'll be like, like Deepak, you know. You'll, you'll, look, you'll be on Oprah. That's my lust of the eyes. I have to hold back my own gifts and talents so that I don't become a one-man show here. Why is it we don't have a midweek, but we have life groups? Because I want to make stars out of the leaders that are in this church. Over 30 came to the Logan Bible study last week. Let's give it up for them. And 20 plus, 20 plus at Gathering and the Squad and 15 at Legacy. Uh, yeah, Legacy. So over 50 with those brothers on Friday, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Because I know I could do this and work it. Man, I would be missing the opportunity to make disciples, to letting others' gifts shine, and letting them become the star in the sense, you know, letting their, let people look up to them. So I've given you my three right now. The lust of the flesh is when I think of my past and how, how good it could feel in the moment. The lust of the eyes is for me to trade what God is doing in this church for something superficial, an inch deep and a mile wide. And the pride of my life is to get angry and frustrated because you didn't do what I asked you to do. Your turn. You ready? Let's pray through those three right now. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts. 
This is the first part of three. Don't be in a hurry today, friends. If you don't know what to pray and you're not a Christian yet, it's really simple. Say, Father, I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart and make me like you. After you pray that, you'll now be a Christian. And then say, Father, now show me the areas I need to confess to you and start confessing your sins. Those of you who are familiar with confession of sin, go through those three areas right now and pick out at least one major one. And trust me, the Lord will help you. And if not, your wife or husband will where you struggle in those areas and say, Lord, guard my heart, protect me, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And as you start to pray through them, start to think of the places you are when you have been tempted to do these things. What provokes these things? And then start to, in your mind, See whether or not you need to cut things off or be more careful. In other words, ask the Lord to give you wisdom to not walk into these things and use it as an excuse to say, well, I didn't see it coming. Well, think about it. If you always get tempted to look at pornography after you watch some of these R-rated movies, cut off the R-rated movies. If you're always reminded of your past listening to certain music, well, then cut off those songs. You don't need to listen to R. Kelly anymore. He's going to jail anyway. Come on. Cut off things that lead you to sin. Maybe it's when you get around a certain group of people. You could be the most sophisticated person around, but you get around, uh, you know, you get around these people. They bring you down. You become a knucklehead, right? Come on. Cut it off. Tell them to meet you at church, meet you at a Bible study. Lord, forgive us. Change us. Use us as examples. Who's going to show the world what it's like to overcome temptation this week? Who's going to show their family? How many parents are going to confess their sins to their children? Not giving them an excuse to be disobedient and rebellious, but how many of you are going to lead by example, confessing when you do things wrong in front of them? Confessing to your spouse. Father, make us humble. I promise you, this works on your jobs too. There is no boss in here that's ever going to say to you, uh, I don't like it when you apologize for doing stuff wrong. Please act like you know everything when you work here. It's laughable. Come on, ask God to use you on your job. It doesn't matter with the countenance or the attitude of your boss or the persons you work with. You be a Christian. You be quick to repent if you do something wrong. I've worked with some people where literally... Even in the church world, I know it's hard to imagine, but we always, as pastors, don't get along. I've worked with some people on projects where I've had to repent to them two and three times a day for getting mad and angry at them, and they never repented to me once. But I just kept confessing, man, I shouldn't have got angry with you. Man, I am so sorry. There's never an excuse to sin. Don't give yourself one. A few more moments right now. We're praying. We're praying. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Whatever temptation we face... We know it's from our own selves, and if you're allowing it, God, you're allowing it so that we can have a testimony, so that we can learn to overcome sin, so that we can be vulnerable. I'm going to give you 60 seconds of silence right now just with the guitar playing so that you can talk to Jesus. Make it real. Help us, Lord. Amen. How many love Jesus? How many are going to live holy? Let's give it up for the Lord. Amen. Let me take the next 10 minutes to knock out these other two. We'll see how that goes. 
Going on now to verse 12. After Jesus was tempted and the devil left him, he began to preach. And you can put back on the lights, good sir. Thank you. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, uh uh-oh, what happened between chapter 4 and chapter 3? John got arrested for preaching against government officials and their sins. So if you want to be like John the Baptist, you've got to be ready to suffer like John the Baptist. And I'm not talking about suffering for being a jerk or just being mean. I'm talking about righteousness being persecuted by the wicked. So now John the Baptist is in jail, and Jesus withdraws to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. These are going to be his main places throughout his whole ministry. Galilee and Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali to fulfill that which was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, to God that we would be lights in this world. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now skip ahead. We'll go to Jesus calling his disciples in just a moment. But skip ahead to verse 23 because I'm just going to make these two fit together in a nice little message. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were suffering with various diseases, who were ill, in severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed and healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region of the Jordan followed him. Somebody say they followed him. When you go back to that passage in verse 15, it says a prophecy of Isaiah. Guess where that's found in Isaiah. That's Isaiah chapter 9, the same place where it says, He shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This is another uh, scripture pointing to the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh walking among them. And guess what we now see? It's also for the Gentiles. Already, believe it or not, on one of my YouTube videos, I'm being attacked because when I talked about Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, he shall forgive his people of their sins, somebody wrote me and said, that's just the Israelites, right? Because that's his people. There are a new group of racists raising up right now in our city. They're called the black Hebrew Israelites. I don't know if you've seen them. When you go downtown, they think they are Jewish people. That's wrong. And then as Jewish people, they are racist thinking God hates all the nations. And of course, that's wrong. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life. And then the book of Galatians says, now in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, all are one in Christ. So remember that. But here is a powerful testimony of God's love for the Gentiles here in the beginning of Matthew. He is coming for the whole world. But why does he limit himself to the lost tribes of Israel? Which is true. He says, I have only come now for the lost tribes of Israel. And then at the end of Matthew, he says, go into all the world. It is because he is fulfilling all the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, he's taking care of family business first, and then he's going to open up the doors to the community. You take care of stuff in the family, you can help people outside. He's taking care of family business first, and then he's going to take care of the world. But we see this hint of where the gospel is going. Remember, Matthew already knows the story. This happened around 30 AD. He's writing it around 50 AD. They're already seeing the Gentiles saved. So he's going back through the travels of Jesus, and he's going, this is powerful. The Holy Spirit's giving it to him. But he's going, this is powerful. He went throughout the the places where the Gentiles were to shine a light because God was going to save the world through Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And then we see his message, which was, I love you, and I want you to be a really good person in life. Is that what it says? He says, I'm going to come and start Niceanity. Everybody be nice like Barney. No. Parents, if you have your children in the back, would you please go and get them? We'll keep going with the service, but we do this for our children's workers. Please and thank you. You're more welcome to come right back. It says, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven has come near. And that was the message of John the Baptist. That was the message of the apostles. So what should we be preaching? 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now watch, watch. Could he preach in honesty as a man, repent from your sins if he had not been tempted as a man to sin? Now get it. If Jesus would have came down as a superman and never would have faced temptation, would he have been a great example for men? No, he wouldn't have been a great example for men. What does Superman teach me about running fast? What can I learn about running a marathon from Superman? He's faster than a speeding bullet. How can I learn how to run by watching spy, uh, uh, Superman? I can't. I can't do what he does. It's impossible. How can we learn from Jesus if he's not God in the flesh? We can't learn from him. But since he is fully man and fully God, we can learn from him that if he resisted temptation, we can too. So he is speaking from the experience of overcoming Satan. And so now we in this story aren't supposed to be the ones always being told, repent, repent, repent. Your job is not to come here every week and be told to repent, repent, and repent. That's baby goo-goo-gaga stuff. It's your job now to live holy, resist temptation, saints, and to go preach to the world repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and it's near in me right now i tell people all the all the time you want a sign where there's a 6-1 italian soldier up in your face right now i'm a sign from god he can change lives if he did it for me he can do it for you we don't preach repent until we have repented that's why the worst kind of hypocrisy is those in the church. Am I a hypocrite if I have sinned and repented of my sin? No, I'm following the plan. I'm a hypocrite if I pretend I haven't sinned. I'm a hypocrite if I sin and I don't repent. If, if, the, if the definition of a hypocrite was somebody who sinned and repented, there would be no apostles, there would be no elders, there would be no deacons. What is the reputation we're supposed to have as Christians? Even if we do sin, we repent, and then we ask God to lead us in his paths of righteousness. So after Jesus has gotten the battle of temptation under control, he has won it for us. Leading by example, he starts preaching. That's how we're supposed to be. You're supposed to be victorious over sin. And what happens when you are, you start to see the signs and wonders of God follow you. He said here, uh, Matthew said here about Jesus that signs and wonders were following his ministry. Go to Mark chapter 16 quickly. Because if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to do what Jesus did. And Jesus preached, and then he did signs and wonders. Shouldn't we preach and do signs and wonders? Yes, look at Mark chapter 16. At the end, here it says in verse 15, he said to them, just keep coming to church, confessing your sins, and live busted and disgusted. Keep complaining and whining all the time because you live next to Grumble Alley on Barely Get Along Street. No, he said, now you go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes and, and, and hold them, and it won't hurt them, and they'll drink deadly poison. It won't hurt them at all, and they'll place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. The, the part about snakes and poison just means we're invincible until God takes us home. There were apostles bitten by snakes. They didn't die. Poisonous snakes, and they kept preaching. They tried to poison John with poison, uh, poison and, it, and he drank it, and it didn't kill him because God kept him safe. I've heard these same stories from missionaries where they try to pull a trigger, and the gun doesn't work. God will not take you home until it's over. Doesn't mean we still don't die sometimes. Like Peter got spared from death a whole bunch of times, and then there was one time they killed him. Same thing with Paul. God let him out of a jail cell, but then Nero beheaded him. But God says it won't happen until it's his time. And look at verse 19. And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached where? Everywhere. And the Lord worked with them, confirmed his word by what? The signs that accompanied him. Message number one. Live free from sin. Learn how to win the battle of temptation. Use the word of God to strike down temptations. Number two, live like Jesus. Be a light in the darkness. Preach the message and see signs following. And here, we won't have time to have our moment of prayer, but here's the last one. We'll combine them together as the altar workers begin to come and the band comes. 
Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were what? What were they? Come on, shout it out. What were they? Fishermen. Thank you. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to do what? Send you out to do what? Man, I don't know if I'm, are you all, yeah, it's right there. He said, I will send you out to do what? Fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately, somebody saying immediately, thank you, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here it is, guys. We got to be willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. I know for us, we look into past and we go, oh, that was easy for them because people in the past, they didn't have real jobs like I have. I couldn't do what Peter did, but of course that was normal for him. No, it wasn't. Looking back 2,000 years ago does not change anything. You had to have money to pay for stuff. You had to work to have food. Peter was married and had kids. They worked for their father. They were in a family business. That probably was handed down generation to generation. There was nothing easy about that. But Jesus was worth it. Now, thankfully, we don't apply that the wrong way and start a cult and have you follow me out to a commune somewhere. But here's how we do follow it correctly. We follow Jesus regardless of the cost of losing friends, finances, jobs, comforts. We put God first immediately. Anything that holds us back from God, we get rid of immediately. And then what do we do? We fish for people. I've heard people leave this church. This is what I've heard people tell me. Some of y'all have been around and you've heard these things already from your friends probably that have left. They say, I actually like Joe's preaching. I'm, I'm cool with it. Like, it's controversial, but I like it. He tells it as it is. Love the band. Love how they work with our children and youth. Love it. But I'm going to another church because I don't want to be in the 201. I don't want to be a disciple. And I don't want to be required to do anything beyond coming and participating. We've had people, and I wish I could be more specific, but then you know I'll talk, I was talking about your neighbor. But I've had people through all types of levels of Christianity, from pastor to real strong leaders, people that have been in the church 30, 40 years, and they literally try to talk me into supporting them getting out of the discipleship. You know what I'm talking about. They'll say, we'll give the money. We'll help in the back. We'll do your cameras. We'll do it all. Just don't expect me to do the other stuff. I did that stuff a long time ago, and now I just want to come with my family on Sundays. And then they'll say to me, well, church is just supposed to be for us and family and Christians. And, you know, it's supposed to be a place where we get fed. and do, It's not necessarily a place where I work. I feel like you guys want me to work around here. Everybody get this, please. This is key to understanding Jesus, key to understanding the rest of the book of Matthew, and, of course, key to understanding me. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth to them was come, follow me, and I'm putting you to work to go win other people. There is no other way to do this, friends. This is not the love boat. This is a battleship. This is not a stadium, and I'm not wearing tights, and it's not a spectator sport. All hands on deck. Everybody follow Jesus and get somebody to follow you. And we'll help you do that here. I've written over 20 books to help you do that here. People have said to me, why is it we come in here, we see only your books here? You want to know why? It's because for me to sell you those other books, i got to charge you $20 and $30. I'll give them away here if you like them. Do you understand? Any book you want there, you can't afford. Take it. And I got it free online. People ask me the stupidest question. Why don't you put other people's books there? Well, why don't they put my books in their megachurch then? I've had actually publishers tell me, we won't publish your book if you're still giving it away for free. I said, that's all I needed to hear. I'm not working with you. Our accountant has said, why doesn't Joe take the money? Because I sell about 100 books online every, every uh, a month, 99 cents through Kindle. I give it you know, as, as much as I can 
cheap as I can get it. The account said to me, and Lauren's a witness, why doesn't he, take, why doesn't he receive that money? Because she's just a pastor's living off their books. That was a redonkulous question. I already got paid once to write the book. Why am I going to get paid again to get the profit from the book? I was paid as a pastor when I was writing that book. Come on, somebody. I don't need a commission to do this. I'm giving it all back to God. What you do is what you do. I'm not here to put it on you. I'm just telling you what I do. I'm here to equip you. I'm not going to let money become an excuse. I'm not going to let a conference become an excuse. Let me just tell you, whenever you hear a pastor say this, and I saw one just go through an anxiety attack, and then he, he, got, he got God to minister to him through his, his panic and his, his mental breakdown. And this is literally, it broke my heart. I was showing the pastors. It's a five-minute promo video. I was a great worship pastor. I was a great this, and God was using me. But then I started getting too busy with ministry, and then one day I had a mental breakdown and panic and anxiety, and I had to be drugged up. And it's like five minutes long, right? And then it just ends. You know what I'm talking about? I can name the name right now. And then it just ends, and then the advertisement comes up. And it's like something like, hope for the hurting, $25.99, pre-order now to get the rest of the message. If I could have put my fist through the screen of my TV to grab that joker by the neck and rip him out and have a little talk with him and not sin in my anger, just, just a little a couple tables being thrown over Jesus. That's all I ask. Just a couple little tables being thrown. That's all I want. Whenever somebody says, I got a word from God, but it's going to cost you 200 to get it at this conference, run from that. Anybody says, I got a word from God, it's going to cost you $50.99 to get it. And you know who downloads my free PDFs off the website more than anybody else? People from Pakistan. People from the underground churches around the world. That's why I give it away for free online. I've, we have paid to send printers to Pakistan so our books can be published for free over there. Somebody said, well, what if they take your name off it and start selling it? Well, praise God, the information's getting out. If you can make $1,000 off selling my book within good for you, you're going to go to hell for that anyway. But somebody's going to read that and get Jesus on it because what I'm not going to do is hunt him down to get some copyright in Pakistan. Do you know that we've got to pay $300 a year to sing songs on this screen? Did you know that? Did you know that we cannot put the songs that other people write? That's why we started writing songs, just to let you know if you weren't here during that season. To put those words up here, king of my heart, every song you know from Hillsong to Bethel, all those people have signed copyright laws. And as pastors, we cannot put their words up here. This band sing this song unless I pay a license deal, $300 a year. I cannot wait till I don't have to sing one of their songs. I talked to the licensing company, and I said, let me get this right. She said, yeah, you are in violation of copyright. I said, so technically, you're telling me in China right now, they watch us sing these songs. They translate them into their language. They sing it. You're telling me they are in violation of your copyright laws. Yes. Could you imagine them trying to sue a Chinese Christian for singing their songs? But yet they get away with it in America. America, we get as much as we can out of you. We'll just keep milking you and milking you and milk. If you're a cat, we'll try to milk you. We're going to try to get as much. Yeah, yeah, we're going to milk everything we can out of you. But here's the deal. I'm going to ask you this as we get ready to close. Will you follow me as I follow Jesus to make disciples? Because it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about the books. It's not about the one or two hours we're here on Sunday. It's about souls. It's about this world that needs to hear the gospel and about lives that need to be changed. And I just want to know, is there anybody that hears the voice of the Father speaking today to them, saying, follow my son Jesus and become a fisher of men. Amen. Let's give it up for God as we stand up today. Amen. Let's go. Come on, let's all stand up. Let's have second service join us in here. We're going to dismiss first service in just a moment. But those from second service can start to make their way in. This is how we're going to end the service. If you need prayer for going through temptation or the things of your life that are struggles, I'm going to ask you to come up in just a moment. Or you can come up now. It's up to you. If you're here today and you want to experience the power of God and you want to be a preacher and a disciple maker, you come up as well and we'll dismiss on that note today, encountering God. Father, I thank you for this service. I thank you for everyone who came. I pray you bless us as we go our separate ways. And those who hang after God in the after party to receive prayer and worship with us, I pray you set us on fire to change the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for God. God bless you.
You are dismissed. Those who want to worship and pray, let's go. Come on up.